friend, you're listening to Life Coach in Your Pocket with me, your certified life coach, Rachel Bailey. Each week, I'll bring you inspiration, motivation, and empowering learnings to help you navigate life's unexpected terrains. I believe that the more we know, the faster we grow. So each week, I'll be teaching high-level coaching concepts that you can apply to your real life. Here's to accomplishing big dreams, believing in your inner champion, and living a life filled with ease and joy. Like all navigational tools in the 21st century, I fit right in your pocket. I'm a life coach in your pocket. Happy listening. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're listening from. Hello, I'm so happy you're here. Listen, today I wanted to talk to you about imposter syndrome. And the reason why I felt compelled to do an episode about imposter syndrome is because I recently read a statistic that said that up to 82% of people have struggled with imposter syndrome at some point in time in their life. And I found this statistic both fascinating and staggering. Like there were alarm bells going off, but also the curiosity and the researcher in me was like, is this real? And what can we be doing to better combat imposter syndrome? So today we're going to do a deep dive on what is imposter syndrome, where does it come from, and what can we do about it if we should be faced with a situation in which we're struggling with it. So as always, I just want to make sure that first we're clear on what is the definition of imposter syndrome. Now, if you've never heard of this before, this imposter syndrome, basically it's this self-feeling on the inside where we feel like we're not qualified enough to be doing something, whether that be in our career or in our professional life or in our athletic life, just somewhere we are filled with self-doubt. Imposter syndrome comes with this kind of fear of being found out that we're really not qualified to be doing what we're doing or we're not good enough to be doing what we're doing. And this can be completely just a self-doubt. Even if we have the achievements and the education and the necessary certifications and the experience, None of that matters in these studies when it comes to people who are experiencing imposter syndrome. There was a wide variety of people who professed experiencing this feeling of self-doubt or being a fraud, even if they had all of the experience, the certifications, and the necessary background and education to be the perfect fit for whatever said profession or endeavor really of any kind of pursuit, whether we're talking about an athletic pursuit or a business pursuit or even being a good enough mom or a good enough wife or a good enough son or a good enough husband. These studies found that most people felt this imposter syndrome whether or not they had the necessary qualifications on paper. And I'm actually not exempt from this statistic. There have been times in my life where I have struggled with imposter syndrome. And the one that is the most prevalent that comes to mind first and foremost is actually when I was an art teacher, believe it or not. I really went into work every day with this feeling of I'm not good enough to be doing this. 
and somebody is going to call me out on the fact that I'm doing this wrong, that I don't do it the same as all the other art teachers, that I'm not good at teaching, that I'm not good at facilitating art projects. I mean, I just really had this overwhelming anxiety that at any point in time, someone was going to come in and find me out that I really shouldn't be doing this. And I think part of this train of thought for me, if I'm thinking about it now and justifying kind of where did this idea kind of originate on the presenting level surface, I'm not even talking about getting to the root cause of my self-doubt, but on kind of the presenting surface level, what makes sense to me is where my brain was at, was I actually was trained as an English teacher first. And then kind of after teaching English, decided, you know what, I kind of want to add on this art credential on top of my English credential. Well, because I had gone kind of a non-traditional route in getting my art credential, I did feel less than the other art teachers who had majored in art, majored in art history, known from the very beginning that they were going to be an arts teacher. And I kind of just decided at the last minute that this was something I wanted to do. So I kind of went in to this job with this mentality of I have to prove myself. I have to prove that I am good enough to be here. Otherwise, people are going to find out that I'm not good enough to be here. Well, as is the case with many people who suffer from imposter syndrome, what happens is you end up trying to overcompensate and you strive for perfection or you overwork in order to be considered like the hero in your field. Or you're afraid to ask for help because you're afraid that if you ask for help, it will come back to look badly on you like you don't know enough about what you're doing. So oftentimes people with imposter syndrome will work harder in order to keep others from recognizing their shortcomings because they wanna appear as if they don't have any shortcomings. But actually what that does for the person struggling with imposter syndrome is then they feel guilty because they feel like they're tricking people. And as I was reading these symptoms of imposter syndrome, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I dealt with every single one of those in my art teaching job. In fact, I was so paranoid that people were going to come in and say that I wasn't good enough that I killed myself trying to put on the most elaborate lesson plans, the most elaborate art projects, the most elaborate art shows, to the point where I was working myself to death. And what's ironic about this is that someone with imposter syndrome will look around, they'll look at how hard they're working, and that will actually add to their belief that they're an imposter because they'll think, well, it's so easy for everyone else and it's so hard for me. When in reality, they're working harder than everyone else to prove to themselves and everyone else that they're good enough. Now, what I know from coaching in my coaching certifications now is that, yes, we prove to ourselves that we're right. Whatever limiting beliefs that we have, we collect evidence for ourselves that we are correct. So if we believe that we are an imposter, we're going to continue to collect the evidence over and over and over again that this belief is true. So we may collect evidence that, oh my gosh, I work harder than everyone else. That means I'm not good enough. Or someone asked me a question today that I didn't know the answer to. That means I'm not good enough. That means I'm an imposter. 
So they interpret every single situation as being more and more evidence that they're correct. Whereas if they didn't have this belief at all, that evidence wouldn't be collected. It would just be, oh, someone asked me a question today and I had to look up the answer. No biggie. The best way I know how to explain collecting evidence that your limiting beliefs about yourself are true is actually a story or it's an analogy that comes from my therapist and she told this to me years ago and it suddenly clicked like I suddenly finally understood oh my gosh yes we have to be in agreement with a limiting belief in order to receive it so she explained it like this she said I want you to imagine that a two-year-old comes up to you and says you're stupid and she said Now, most people would look at that two-year-old and say, child, you don't know what you're talking about. You need a nap. You need a food. (laughs) You need a food. You need a snack. This isn't about me. This is about your well-being at the moment. And I'm going to try to figure out what you need. What is this behavior telling me about you? She said, no healthy adult is going to look at that two-year-old and say, you're right, kid, I am stupid. Unless that adult already believes they're stupid. And if that adult believes they're stupid, then somebody else telling them that they're stupid reaffirms that belief. And when she gave me this analogy, it like blew my mind because I could, if you could imagine my brain kind of going click, 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 like the light bulb went off. And I was like, that is so true. We are only hurt by the opinions of others when we believe that already about ourselves. If we don't already believe that about ourselves, we just say that person doesn't know what they're talking about, they're misinformed, or They have a character flaw, like they're mean, they're rude, they're having a bad day, this is about them. We're able to see that when we don't subscribe to what they're saying. It's when we subscribe to what they're saying that we get upset. So all of that to say, someone with imposter syndrome is going to see their hard work as actually more evidence that they're not good enough. Not only that, but any recognition that somebody earns, somebody that has imposter syndrome, if they receive accolades or recognition, they actually will believe that they are unworthy, that they have tricked people into honoring them, that they do not actually deserve this, that this was a fluke or a mistake, or they've done a really good job of putting on a facade, but they don't actually receive the accolade or the recognition because they don't believe they deserve it. And I just realized I used a coaching word. They don't receive it. They may physically accept the award, but it doesn't resonate on the inside. They don't internally receive the recognition. They don't internally receive what this means about their hard work. They just let it kind of bounce off. Now, unfortunately, people who have suffered from this imposter syndrome, which is again, fear of being found out, like I'm doing an impersonation of someone else. I don't belong. I'm a fraud. Well, this type of person actually is going to develop a pattern of anxiety, depression, and guilt 
because the anxiety is I have to work harder than everyone else. The guilt is I'm working harder than everyone else and nobody knows that I'm not good enough. And the depression comes from all of the limiting beliefs and the self-doubt, I'm not good enough, on a repeated basis can lead them to a depression. So what do we do about it? Well, don't worry. I'm not just going to give you this information and say, sorry if you have imposter syndrome. (laughs) I've given you the information about it. No, I want to actually give you this information so we can learn where does it come from? How can we prevent this from happening in our next generation, in our children, in our beloved ones? How can we do better by them so they don't develop this imposter syndrome? And how can we do better by ourselves, for ourselves, if we are suffering from it? Okay, so first, where does imposter syndrome come from? Well, the first number one thing that imposter syndrome can be linked back to is our childhood upbringing. What we believed about our upbringing as children, what we believed that we derived our worth and value from, and if we believed that our worth depended on our performance, then we're going to be more likely to develop imposter syndrome. So if our parents have put pressure on us to do really, really well, that is one way in which we can develop imposter syndrome. Now, I'm sure you're thinking of parents that you've seen. If you've seen them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the parents that will not allow their children to have a bad day. I saw a lot of this type of parenting when I was a figure skating coach, you know, and these parents are paying a lot of money to bring their children to have lessons and ice time. And if their child was having an off day, wasn't performing well, wasn't feeling good. A lot of times these parents, out of frustration, anger, disappointment, would get mad at their children and yell at their children and say, we came all this way, we spent this time here, we're spending this money to be here, you need to get out there and you need to practice that until you land it. Now parents, if that's you, you may already know that that behavior is not good for your kids. So if you're the type of parent that you're like, man, I do this sometimes, or I've done this before, I know I'm not supposed to do this. Hey, at least you're aware that this is a pattern of behavior that you would like to stop so that you're not putting that pressure on your kids. I get it. You know, as someone who brought your kids here, paid for this lesson, paid for this time, when your kids are having an off day, it can be frustrating you need to take a deep breath and remember that your kids are doing the best they can today. Who knows? Maybe they didn't sleep good last night. Maybe they're dehydrated. Maybe they haven't eaten well. Maybe they're stressed out because of some drama that's going on at school. You might not have all the information as to why your child is having an off day. That is the time to get curious and ask questions and be present And give your child quality time and attention and ask, hey, is everything okay? And sometimes there'll be a really good explanation and sometimes there won't be because your child is a human being and is going to have an off day. That's part of being a human. You're going to have an off day. That's part of being a human. So let's have grace for ourselves and others. 
So the first one was when we are pressured to perform, we can develop imposter syndrome. The other way that we can develop imposter syndrome as children is if and when we are compared to others. When parents or guardians say things like, why can't you be more like your brother? Or why can't you be more like so-and-so? We internalize that as children to mean we are not good enough in every area of our life. Children do not logically separate, oh, I'm not as good as Kevin at soccer. If we tell our child, why can't you be more like Kevin? Why aren't you good at this like Kevin? A child is not going to compartmentalize that. They're going to make the assumption that they are not good enough as a person across all areas. So we need to stop comparing our little ones or our loved ones or our spouses or our significant others. We need to stop comparing to other people because that is damaging to mental health. Now this one surprised me a little bit. It did and it didn't. Making the connections for why this behavior develops imposter syndrome was more challenging to make the connections. So the third reason why children can develop this imposter syndrome is when they have controlling or overprotective parents. Now think about this one for a second. Because the other two we could see obviously that this behavior can damage a child's self-esteem. So why might controlling behavior or overprotective behavior lead to an imposter syndrome in a child who later becomes an adult? Well, actually, the reason is because what happens when parents are controlling or overprotective or do everything for their children, they diminish their child's self-esteem. The child learns indirectly, meaning maybe they're not even told this directly, but they learn indirectly with these controlling, overprotective helicopter parents that they, the child, cannot be trusted to take care of themselves, to make decisions for themselves, to make good choices, to do the right thing if they're having a parent that's constantly controlling them, overprotecting them, and helicoptering over them. And so as this child grows and develops into an adult, they second guess their own thoughts, they second guess their own ideas, they second guess their ability to do things on their own because they've always had a helicopter parent doing everything for them and now they're not sure that they're capable, they're not sure that they have the necessary skills to succeed in life. So the bottom line for this one is to teach your kids to trust themselves. Teach them to make decisions for themselves. Let your kids pick out their own outfit for the day. Who cares if it's a hot mess? Like give your kids a little bit more control over their world. And when you do that, you're going to create children with high self-esteem that grow into confident and competent adults. Now the last place that imposter syndrome could develop is in children who are sharply criticized for their mistakes. So we talked about pressure to perform and also along with that, children who are sharply criticized for every little tiny mistake or every little thing that they do creates an explosive response from their parents 
well, that child is going to feel insecure moving forward in life. So this is a type of situation where you have a child that spills a glass of milk and the parent yells, what's wrong with you? You need to clean that up. Don't you know better than that? You know better than that. Instead of seeing the glass of spilt milk as a glass of spilled milk and hey, it's okay, why don't you clean that up? Here's a paper towel and let your child clean up after their own messes. The parent has an explosive response of sharp criticism. This leads to insecure children, which leads to insecure adults. Now, I'm not here to shame anyone for their parenting, but if you're looking at your parenting and you are realizing that maybe you have a tendency to do some of these things, and it's not on purpose, I know you love your kids, It's not on purpose. We don't mean to damage their kids. Nobody means to be a bad parent or to damage their kids or to make their kids need therapy one day or to cause their children trauma and all kinds of stuff. Nobody really sets out to hurt their children on purpose, except for maybe a small percentage of monsters in the world. Nobody sets out without intention. But if you're looking at your behavior and going, you know what, I kind of, I'm guilty of some of these things on the list then I would encourage you to seek out therapy in and yourself so you can find out what is the root cause of my overreacting or of my controlling or of my overprotective behavior. What is the root cause of me pressuring my children to perform well? Because if I can work on myself and I can figure out what's going on inside me, then I can be a happier, healthier parent and I can raise happier, healthier children. And you know, behavior that is controlling or uh, perfectionism, these things, we develop these behaviors as coping mechanisms. So why does somebody show up as being controlling? Why does somebody show up as needing perfection all around them? Actually, controlling and perfectionism are coping mechanisms. They are behaviors that develop from our own trauma. So you have traumatized children that grow up into adults that have these tendencies to be over controlling or overprotective or lash out in anger because of unresolved generational trauma. And it just goes on and on and on and on until we are ready to say no more. I want to get healed. I want to figure out why I'm behaving this way. I'm ready to look at my childhood. I'm ready to look at my parents. I'm ready to forgive them. I'm ready to let go of the past and move on and be happier and be healthier and be whole and complete so that I can make a positive ripple effect on those around me instead of repeating the pattern. Okay, I'm a little bit on my soapbox. I'm going to step off. (laughs) I'm going to step down off of the life coaching therapy soapbox. I'm going to come back down to if you are struggling with imposter syndrome, what can you do so that you can move forward in life? Hey, it's Rachel here. Listen, really quick. I'm sorry to interrupt myself, but I have to tell you something ASAP. I have a brand new class starting on May 16th called the Total Mindset Reset Class, and you need to be there. You have to be there. It's going to be so awesome, and this is probably the last live class that I'm going to be running for a while So grab your seat now. All you have to do is scroll down to the show notes, click on Total Mindset Reset class, or you can go to coachrachelbailey.com slash coaching to hold your spot. 
This may be the last live class that I have for a while. So grab your seat. It's going to be awesome. It's five days of live coaching from me plus a one-on-one coaching call. You're going to want to be there. I'll see you there. Okay, sorry to interrupt myself. Now back to the show where I'm going to give you some good tips. Well, I need to step back on my soapbox for one more second to say that my tip number one for you would be to seek out either therapy or life coaching so that you can get to the root cause of your own behaviors and figure out what is the root cause of my self-doubt? What are the significant emotional events that I've been through in childhood or early adulthood that have led me to feel not good enough? And once I get to that root cause with a therapist or a life coach, how can I work through that to get to the other side of heal so I no longer have the self-doubt and I no longer prove this to be correct over and over and over and over again? I just release it. You release things in two ways. I've said this many times. You can work with an NLP certified life coach who can do timeline therapy with you. Or you can seek out a therapist who is certified in EMDR. And you can release it either of those two ways as if you never, ever, ever experienced trauma or the significant emotional event. It just gets erased and blown out of the neurology And you move on with your life only with the positive learnings of that memory as if it never happened, as if there was never anything bad about that memory. These are the two types of healing modalities that I advocate for the most because they are the two modalities that can give you 100% healing as if the trauma never happened. Now, the positive things that came out of that trauma, like maybe you're more resilient or you have better perseverance or you're stronger, all of those, you get to keep all of those learnings and create additional positive learnings while you release the pain. So I'm always going to advocate for those two healing modalities. Okay, so tip number one was seek out healing either from an NLP timeline therapy certified coach or an EMDR trained and certified therapist. Okay. Tip number two, if and when you're experiencing imposter syndrome throughout your daily life, it's important to identify what those self-doubt thoughts actually are and what those feelings are and bring them into conscious awareness. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're having a tightening in the chest and you're realizing that your heart's beating faster and you're aware that you're uncomfortable. So consciously, Usually first conscious thought is I'm not feeling good. I feel bad. But usually the first conscious thought is not total complete awareness of where this bodily feeling is coming from. So the first question would be, hmm, what thoughts am I thinking? What negative emotions am I feeling? Become consciously aware of the unconscious negative thought and the unconscious negative emotion. So you're like, oh, I'm feeling like my heart is like tight. My chest is tight. My heart's beating faster. Ooh, what am I thinking? You know what? I'm thinking that this presentation later is not going to be good enough. And that's causing me self-doubt. And that's causing me the anxiety. It's causing me worry about how I'm going to show up. At this point, tip number three is to ask yourself, what do I want? What do I want? Because that anxiety or that guilt or that depression or that negative emotion is 
a sign that we are focused on what we do not want, the outcome we don't want. I don't want to appear foolish later. I don't want this presentation to go badly. I don't want my voice to shake and crack, whatever. You're free from all of those examples. But that's just a sign that, oh, we're focusing on the negative picture. What do I want instead? Because once I become clear on what I do want, I can focus on the positive. How do I want to sound in my presentation? What do I want people to assume when I'm up on stage? That I'm smart, that I've got this, that I'm intelligent, that I'm the best person for the job up here. That's what I want people to think. And then you can focus on those thoughts and ask yourself, when I believe that people want to be here, that they want to see me speak, that they think that I'm the best person for the job, when I believe those thoughts, what do I feel? I feel excited. I feel empowered. I feel confident. I feel ready to go out there and crush it. And suddenly you're ready, willing, and able to create what you want simply by number one, acknowledging what is coming up for you, acknowledging that you're focusing on what you don't want, and then shifting and pivoting so you can focus on what you do want and create a new positive thought and a new positive emotion. Tip number four is to build a network of a support system. So building this network of support system, number one, this support system can offer you guidance and can offer you help when you need it. Remember, the tendency of the imposter syndrome person is to feel that they have to do everything on their own in order to prove that they're worthy or deserving. Well, that's not coming from a secure, confident place. That is coming from an insecure place. So why don't we flip that on its head and say, hey, what would happen if I asked for support? I would get support. I would actually be able to create a better outcome if I had more hands on deck, if I had more people to encourage my efforts, to validate my strengths, to give me feedback on what could go better. I could create a more positive outcome. And you know what else this network could do for you? If this network is filled with positive and emotionally healthy people, then this support system could support you when you're feeling like an imposter. You can share that with the people that you trust so they can help you and then you won't feel alone in your imposter syndrome. And you know what you're going to find? If you open up to very emotionally healthy people is they will come out and admit, oh my gosh, I have struggled with that too. And then you can share the tips that you have learned on this podcast and you can share this podcast with them and say, I listened to this episode that was really helpful. Why don't we listen to it together and start implementing the steps? So a network can also help you with accountability for strategy. Number five, tip number five is to focus on your strengths. Now, this is similar to tip number three, which is to focus on what you want, what you want your outcome to be. Five is different because it's really inward focused on what are your strengths. I do see the benefit in gurus who say, you know, focus on your weaknesses and make them stronger and focus on your weaknesses and get better at those things. Well, I actually have a different perspective on this. I think if we focus on our strengths, we're going to continue to build upon what's already a natural talent of ours, what's already a natural strength. And as that builds and gets stronger and stronger and stronger, we actually are creating within ourselves an expert in in a specific area. We're creating that 10,000 hours of expertise. So my advice is actually 
hey, don't worry so much about your weaknesses. Acknowledge your weaknesses and outsource the stuff that you're not good at so you can focus on what you are good at. Okay, well, one thing that I'm not good at (laughs) that I had to admit to myself is that I'm actually not good at technology. Now, what's your definition of that, right? I am a millennial, so people assume I'm really tech savvy. And maybe to older generations who didn't grow up with technology, they see me as tech savvy because I know how to navigate Google Drive fairly well and I know how to post on social media and I know how to get by on technology. But I really, as a business owner, kind of know the bare minimum. I just know enough. You know what I mean? Like, I know how to go to godaddy.com and create a URL website. I know how to do that. Do I know how to build my own website? No, not really. Could I figure it out? Sure. There's a million YouTube videos out there about how to figure this out yourself. But this is what I'm saying. When you acknowledge, I'm not good at this, then you can outsource it to somebody who is good at it. And then you can focus your 10,000 hours on developing what you are good at instead of spending time banging your head against the wall trying to figure out something that you're weak at, something that you're not good at. That's not a good use of your time. Outsource your weaknesses, confess your weaknesses to others, get support with those things, and then focus on what you are good at so you can become an expert. Okay, this leads me to tip number six, which is don't compare yourself to other people. Comparison is not only the thief of joy, it is also the fuel that you're adding to the fire of imposter syndrome. And comparison really does nothing for us because we're going to do things in our own right that allow us to stand out in our field. Whatever we're trying to accomplish, we deserve to focus on ourselves to shut everyone else out and to bring our own skill to the table. You by nature, are going to bring yourself to the equation. You're going to bring your values. You're going to bring your expertise. You're going to bring what you're good at. You're going to bring what you're practiced at into the different things that you're doing. And therefore, you don't have time to compare yourself to somebody else because at the end of the day, you're going to do it like you. Other people's success does not diminish your success. You are successful in your own right. You're your own person. Everyone has a unique set of skills. Focus on yours. So those are the six tips to overcoming imposter syndrome. Number one, seek out therapy or life coaching so you can really get to the root cause of your self-doubt and release it. Number two, acknowledge your feelings so you are consciously aware of what's going on on the unconscious level so you can adapt and readjust. Number three, focus on what you really do want the outcome to look like. Number four, build a network of positive, helpful, supportive people around you. Number five, focus on your strengths. And lastly, number six, don't compare yourself to others. Show up as your true authentic self and know that you are bringing a unique style to your own mission and purpose in life. All right, you guys, I hope you have found these six tips helpful. Share this podcast with somebody who deserves to have it. Because remember, as I said in the beginning, up to 86% of people are struggling with imposter syndrome. 
We gotta take care of this, you guys. We gotta lower that number together. So share this with a friend. And announcement. I have a brand new class starting on May 16th that I would love to invite you to. It's called the Total Mindset Reset Class. And in this live class, it is going to be online. So it doesn't matter where you're listening from. This class will be available to you live and recorded. And in this class, we're going to go over what are the root causes in your thought life, in your history, in your memory bank that are holding you back. The mindset blocks that are holding you back from being the person that you know that you want to be, that you know that you can be, the person that you're reaching for, reaching for, reaching for, and for whatever reason, it's eluding you. We're going to go over all of that in this class. We're going to create massive goals. We're going to rediscover our purpose, our mission, our passion. We're going to get to the root cause of what's blocking us so we can let it go and we can have rocket fuel to get us to where we wanna be in life. So if you would like to check out this course, I'm gonna leave the link in the show notes for the Total Mindset Reset class. Just click on that show notes link or you can go to coachrachelbailey.com and click on coaching and you will see the Total Mindset Reset class. It's only $37 for five days of live coaching. Plus, this is the most exciting part. You get a coaching session with me included in that $37 price point. So I really hope you'll take advantage of this if you're listening before May 16th. This may be your sign that it's time to try something new to set new goals and new purpose and new mission in your life so you can walk with a new pep in your step. So check it out. I cannot wait to see you there. It's going to be awesome and just this is the honest truth you guys. This isn't a tactic. This is not a sales tactic. This is the honest truth. I'm probably not going to be running another live class for a very long time because my baby is due July 22nd. And this may be the last class that I'm hosting for a while. So jump in if you still can. How? Remember, just go to the show notes and click on the link there under Total Mindset Reset Class. Scroll down, you'll see it there. Or you can go to coachrachelbailey.com slash coaching. All right. I'll see you on the next episode. Remember, life is a journey. You're in the driver's seat. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Life Coach in Your Pocket. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, Or if you're looking to get involved in one of my coaching programs, you can reach me directly at coachrachelbailey.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.